0: You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney, and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts.
1: Hi there, and welcome back. Today, Dan and I are talking to Whitney Owens.
2: Hi, how are y'all doing? Great. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be here. So I want to tell everyone a little bit about you first before we begin. Um, So Whitney is a licensed professional counselor, private practice consultant. She lives in Savannah, Georgia. She owns a group private practice herself called Water's Edge Counseling. Uh, In addition to running her practice, she does offer individual and group consulting through Practice of the Practice. Whitney places a special emphasis on helping clinicians start and grow faith-based practices. She hosts a podcast as well, and it helps faith-based practice owners. It's called Faith in Practice, and it's a podcast, like I said. Whitney has also spoken at the Licensed Professional Counselors Association of Georgia's annual convention the past three years. She's also been at the Maryland convention, which uh, we sometimes attend. And Whitney is a wife, and she's the mother of two beautiful girls. So welcome again. We're so grateful to have you here.
3: Thank you. I enjoyed listening uh, to you read through that, and it was great <laughs> to meet Melissa and get to speak at that conference. So thank you for that, Melissa.
2: I'm just happy that I made it through there without you know messing up. Sometimes I always, I, I make these stumble with my words, so I'm glad I got through that this time.
3: Yeah, sometimes you 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 hear people read the bios and uh-huh. it's it really structured about it, but like you you read it so like comfortably and enjoying it. And I was like, yeah, it's nice to just sit here and listen to your voice. So yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, we are really looking forward to having you here. Uh, you know, on the Protecting Your Practice podcast, Dan and I are often talking about obviously protecting your practice, but also compliance, best practices, and making sure that clinicians are doing things that are ethical, legal. Um, and I know that I've heard you talk about a topic that is near and dear to your heart, which is building faith-based practices and that you offer consultation to group practice owners. And I've heard you talk specifically about some special considerations when hiring. And so we definitely have some questions for you today about that. You know, for practice owners who want to build faith-based practices there's a specific vision and mission that they have in mind and you're going to want to look for people who are in alignment with that vision and mission what are some of the things that you encourage practice owners to consider when hiring so that they can find people who are in alignment with the practice while also being mindful of hiring guidelines and and legal guidelines surrounding hiring
3: Yes. Well, this is a very good question. And Melissa, this is one of the most common questions that I get. And I know you're a part of the the Facebook group that we do, the faith and practice Facebook group. And we've had some conversations recently about this and um, people really run the gamut on what they have to say about it. Yeah. And so I try to, I try to do the best that I can with the legal and ethical implications and trying to be middle of the road. I mean, as you have followed me and know me, even though faith is a big part of my life and what I do, I don't, come out overtly about it in the work that I do with clients or in the way that I run my practice. We have a more covert way that we share about our faith in the sense of our logos and our mission, but we also bring in faith-based, you know, people that are wanting a faith-based approach, but people who are wanting any kind of approach. That's a little bit about me and kind of my vision. I love being able to work with clients that are jaded by the church, or I like working with people who don't adhere to a faith-based background at all. Like I love working with different kinds. I've made a practice to kind of meet that need. So it's really important, like you said, that you first think about what's my mission, what's my brand. And when we get into this faith-based part, where am I on the spectrum? Do I want to practice that's overtly faith-based, calling yourself a Christian counseling practice? I think there's definitely a need for that in certain areas. I am in the Bible Belt. We have a lot of those. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I kind of tended to not go that way because I felt like that need had already been met. And you might also be a practitioner that doesn't want faith involved at all. And that is totally okay, too. Like, you can still be a Christian and not have your practice be about your faith, right? Mm -hmm. That's totally fine. Or you find yourself in the middle somewhere. So you want all the things that you're doing to really be able to reach that ideal client, share that vision. So when you're thinking about hiring, you're thinking about hiring someone with a similar viewpoint on the way that you do therapy. I think it's really great to kind of take the faith part out of it because that has so much emotion and connotation to it. So let's say you are a eating disorder practice, right? You serve an eating disorder population. Maybe you have one or two clinicians working for you, especially as eating disorders. When you're going to hire your next person, if you want to stay as an eating disorder practice, you're going to hire someone who likes to work with eating disorders, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to yeah. go hire somebody who doesn't like working with eating disorders. And so when you're thinking about your hiring process, it's not even just about you. It's about the person, like in the fit, because if you hire somebody who doesn't like the mission of your practice or doesn't enjoy the culture, they're not going to want to stay working for you anyway. They're not going to enjoy their job. So you're going to want to hire somebody who adheres to that mission and value. So if faith is a part of that, then you want to hire someone who's comfortable with that. Now we can't hire based on someone's belief system, right? Just like we can't hire someone based on their race or based on pregnancy, I mean all those things that Dan could probably rattle off for us, but we we know that we can't hire based on those things. So I in no way ask people in an interview, are you a Christian, right? Because that is not okay and honestly I don't know what God would really think about that. You know, like, is that how the Lord like comes into the room? Like I'm going to hang out with the Christians and not the non-Christians. I mean, Jesus hung Mm -hmm. out with everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. So instead, the way that we approach it is, are you comfortable working with this population? Like, just like you would with eating disorders, with substance abuse. Like, are you comfortable seeing eating disorders? Are you comfortable working with someone who's addicted to, you know, pornography or, you know, these are the types of clients that come to our practice. And are you okay working with? them? Oftentimes I go back to kind of the origin of how I started my practice, which, which you probably know this about me, Melissa, but my husband is a pastor. And so when I got to Savannah, I couldn't find a job. You got to know somebody to get a job. And so I started a private practice. I didn't know what else to do. And he was my first contact. So he Told everyone on staff, my husband, my wife's doing ministry, you know, by doing this consulting, I mean counseling business, send mm-hmm. people her way. Then I started getting clients. Then I connected with the other Methodist churches. And then I kind of expanded from there. So I would say the fact that we're located in the South and my husband's a pastor, I started my practice probably getting 30, 40% of people just saying I want a Christian perspective. So we explained that to people in the interview that people will call us wanting a Christian perspective. Are you comfortable offering this to clients? And usually that'll gauge where they're at. So it's not that we're not going to hire them based on that. In fact, oftentimes I don't know what somebody believes. They just let me know if they can do the work or not. And then if they're comfortable integrating faith, if clients are requesting this type of treatment, then we can move forward in the hiring process. But I don't want to create an environment they're not happy with anyway.
1: Sure.
2: You know, one of the things when I'm consulting with practice owners, the one of the, the the first things that comes up often and and I ask this on my intake forum sometimes, even um, is what are your vision, your vision? What is your mission? What are you doing this for? What's the purpose here? Um, so I guess my question for you is what are other niche practices that might require uh, group practice owners to be selective in their hiring to pursue their mission or vision? And how can they still be mindful of the laws, you know, around, you know, mindful of laws and, and, and just make sure they're, they're complying with what they need to be doing?
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it when it comes to kind of that niche hiring has to do with what it is that your practice offers in your community. I actually am currently working with a girl who has a DBT certification. Mm -hmm. And so we've been really working on what kind of practice do you want to create here? Well, she wants to create a practice that's specifically DBT only. So if you come work for her, you go through the certification to get your DBT through her. And then at the end, you're certified. I think it's a great thing to offer clinicians. I think she's going to explode, but it also does weed out a lot of people, mm-hmm. but it allows her to be niched and really meet a need. Um, another woman I've worked with, she does only couples. And so she's not going to hire people that don't have experience working with couples. And, and it's okay to be specific in what the need is of your business and to find people that have the education in the background to do the job well.
1: Yeah. Now, one of the things that I was wondering, and I sometimes wonder this, you know, when I'm seeing different people advertise their services, if they're doing something that's a little bit different, right? And, you know, you are very forthcoming and saying, you know, this is the Faith in Practice podcast, or I help group practice owners build faith-based practices. And I sometimes wonder if behind the scenes people have ever had challenges or backlash about just kind of owning... This is who we are. This is what we stand for. Um and I'm wondering if you've um come across any of that yourself or if you've worked with anybody who has had those experiences. Cuz there's that other part of like, you know, protecting yourself emotionally, um protecting your practice in that way and so I'm just mm-hmm. wondering if that's ever come up for you or anyone that you've ever worked with.
3: Oh, this is good. I love I love yeah. these kind of hot topics. So, I can share a little bit about my story. Um, when Joe hired me, well, first of all, even before Joe hired me, I wanted to do faith-based consulting and I kind of praying about it and really felt like the Lord was drawing me into this and there was no one really in the field doing it. And when I had started my practice, I kind of wished that I could have found someone who integrated faith the way I did without shoving it down my throat kind of thing. So then, um, I was nervous though. I was nervous what everybody would think and that the consultants wouldn't like me because I talk about Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. So then when I went to Slowdown school, that was when Joe hired me and was like, "Oh, you got to join us and do this faith based stuff. I really think there's a need for it. So it wasn't long after that that we went to killing it camp. And I started finding, you know, you just naturally hear about the people that are Christians. And so I'd I'd find these people or someone would say, oh, you need to talk to this person, yada, yada. And those were the people that didn't really want to talk to me. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you're surprised. I like that. And I was, too because hmm. they just thought that I was going to be hyper-religious mm-hmm. and they did not want their practice to be that way. So it's like they didn't give me the chance to show them that I'm actually very similar to them in the way that I do faith and integration in my business and practice. So I actually got more pushback from Christians than from people who are not Christians.
1: That's really
2: interesting.
1: Really interesting. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that's well, interesting. Yeah. I was going to say, it's interesting because too often, I think, People just assume faith is something that's, you know, so selective. Oh, well, you're going to talk about faith. It excludes any other conversation we can possibly have. And I, I think it's really interesting that you have this practice where you can bring these two together, but it's also still a very welcoming practice. Um, and it doesn't have to be a negative thing. It can be a very positive thing.
3: Definitely. And I just think there's something important to be said for God can be anywhere, anytime. Like it doesn't have to, we don't have to be talking about God or pulling our Bibles out for a session to include Mm -hmm. God, you know, and I think the same for our businesses. And, you know, another example of how I have to kind of deal with this challenge, Melissa, that you're bringing up is on the podcast. Like I want to interview lots of people. I don't want to interview people that are just faith-based. Like if you've got something great to bring to the table for my audience, I want to interview you. And so I have to kind of explain to people what the podcast is if they haven't heard it, especially um, people that don't know me yet. And I reach out to them because I think they'd be a great guest. And then they're like, well, what kind of things do you ask? Like, they feel really uncomfortable. I'm like, it's okay. We don't have to talk about God at all if you don't want to, except the last question. You just need to talk about something, you know, related to business. And when I ask, what does every Christian counselor need to know? But I really do struggle with it, bringing people on my show, actually. Um, But that's what I love about my show. I love that it brings a lot of different things to the table.
1: Yeah, I, I just think that that's so interesting, right? And even the word faith alone brings up so many so many things for different people, depending on mm-hmm. someone's background, depending on someone's experience. And, and I've heard some of the debates, you know, for people who do offer a certain type of counseling, whether it's a faith-based Christian or from a different uh, spiritual perspective, do I come out right in my advertising and say, this is my background or this is an approach I can offer? Do I not do that? Um, but I am always curious to see how is that received, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever there are those difficult uh, conversations or reactions, how do, we, how do we navigate that as well? Because those are sometimes the things that we're dealing with behind the scenes that people don't see as clinicians or practice owners.
3: Yeah, I mean, we see this in our intake with clients, right? Most of us have a spiritual section. I mean, ours is, um, do you consider yourself a spiritual person? And they check yes or no. And if they check yes... Do you attend services somewhere? If so, where? And then, um, how much is that a part of your lifestyle?
0: And yeah. so, when you get
3: to that part with clients, some of them will really react, or someone will say, "No, are you going to be all Christian on me?" And I'm like, "No, like if that's not what you're looking for, it's not what we're going to be doing," you know. And so, yeah, it's the same way it brings that up for people, but it shows us where are the places we need to work on,
1: you know? Yeah, and that response a question I think is- for you, it's sort of. Well, I was just going to say, I think that that response is really interesting. And for anyone listening, if you don't have a question about spirituality in your intake, I would also encourage you to include that in your intake. It provides a lot of really valuable information. And if we want to say, or if you do say that you provide holistic and a holistic approach to counseling, then we can't leave that one area out, um, and letting people know that talking about faith might be taboo in some arenas, but it doesn't have to be taboo in the counseling room.
2: And I was going to say, just to kind of touch on, since you mentioned your intake, um, and, and the answer may be no. Um, I'm curious, so I'm thinking other people would be curious who are listening. Um, do you find there are specific um, elements or issues that come up um, that you confront or deal with as a, a faith-based practice that would not come up for other practices or not something that other practices um have to confront. Um positive or negative. Um could be could be anything.
3: Um I, I don't think so because okay. we don't advertise overtly as okay. a faith-based practice. The only way someone's gonna know that we're Christian is if another client referred and mm-hmm. somehow they figured it out, you know. Mm-hmm. Or on the intake, sometimes when they call or actually on the first call, when they schedule, they will mm-hmm. say, I would like to see a Christian counselor. Do you have anyone in the practice that offers this perspective? Mm-hmm. And so then they know it coming into it, but oftentimes they don't. And that's mm-hmm. actually how I like it. Like leaving that sure. blank slate for the client to have their experience.
2: Absolutely. I think that's really important. Um, question for you. I know that, um, you had mentioned, um, at some point when we were talking, um, even before we started that you do have, um, a group uh, practice boss, and you're going to be starting group practice launch. Can you tell us a little bit about those groups and what what the purpose is and what 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 do people get out of it? And, and how does it, you know, what do you do with those?
3: Yeah, I would love to share about that. So I'm a consultant within Practice of the Practice, and we have various membership communities. And so a membership community is just a place for people that are like-minded or in the same stage of business to come together to learn things to elevate them to the next level. So we try to offer a membership community for every stage of practice. That way you have a place to land. Mm -hmm. So the first one is next level practice, which is for those that are starting their practice all the way up to the like $6,100,000 revenue phase. And then after that, people that are interested in starting a group practice, we have a membership community specifically for them. It's a six-month focused program to help you go from nothing to one to two clinicians, sometimes an assistant. And it's like six months of really structured videos that you watch every week. And then you have workbook that goes along with it that you can fill out with all the information, same information from the video. So it's great because at the end, you can print out your workbook and have it for future reference. We also have a teachable platform that has all the paperwork in it that we use, such as job descriptions and you know posts that you can put up, offer letters, onboarding checklists. Now, Since we are on a legal podcast, I will Mm -hmm. admit, we tell everyone to get this paperwork looked at by their attorney. Now, they can save tons of time by taking the paperwork we've provided and altering it, but let the attorney look at it to make sure it's meeting the needs of your state because every state is different in what they do. Um, But that's kind of what group practice launch is. And we really created it because we were running masterminds into an individual consulting helping people hire because I'll say, if you're ever going to get a consultant, get it when you make your first hires because this is where people really mess up, pay scales, W2 to 99 status, all that stuff. So we created it to be able to offer a low cost option for people that are in that phase to be able to get everything they needed and have a community to do it in. So that's kind of the purpose. We actually are about to launch another cohort. We only open it every six months since it is such a structured program. So that's going to open up beginning of September. The early bird, I think is September 7th and 8th. So if people are listening and they're really interested in that, go to practicepractice.com backslash group practice launch to sign up for that. And then people who have already done that program or maybe people who already have a group practice, um, they could have anywhere from two on clinicians. We have some people in group practice boss that have two or three clinicians. We have other people that have 25 clinicians. So we have a variety of group practice owners and we kind of put people in small groups based on their need and we do live events every week specifically for group practice owners. So that might be how to market a group practice. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, we're actually talking about coaching and side businesses. So we're helping people with that. And so it's a community to be able to ask questions, but also led by two consultants, me and Allison Pigeon, to be able to help people in that phase. So those are the membership communities that we offer.
2: Are there particular reoccurring um, concepts or issues that come up? You know, you see among the practitioners um in these groups i imagine there's some sort of dialogue that exists between everyone you know is there there's is there there a certain you know similarity and, and just reoccurring questions that people always seem to have um we talk about that a lot on our show here um do you see those coming up for you guys in the in the groups
3: most definitely yeah i'm sure melissa's seen that as well in some of the groups one of the most common questions we get for those that are starting a group practice are the, do I hire a 1099 or W-2? Mm-hmm. Or sure. honestly, some of them go into it with 1099 thinking and they've never explored W-2. They've never known what that was. So we do a lot of, hey, what do you want out of your practice? Let's explore the difference here. And then let's figure out what works in your state. And you talk to your attorney and then you can kind of make your decision. Um, pay scales is a big one. What do I pay people? Um, and then that can vary obviously based on if you go with the contractor or a W2 model and making sure you get that right. Um, we get a lot of questions about space, mm. you know, how much space do I need for how many people, what percentage should I be spending on payroll? What do I pay myself? What do I pay for the space? My expenses, money is always something that comes up. And then for the higher level group practice owners, we get a lot of questions about marketing and how do I fill people up? And I get a lot of questions about the transition from insurance to cash pay. And how do I make that transition? How can you actually charge people cash and them actually pay for it? You know, and how do you explain that to people? Um, And how do you convert calls to clients? Like how, when you, especially cash pay practice, when they're calling, how do you explain to them not using insurance and get them to schedule a first time appointment? Those are some of the most common things that I hear.
2: I just want to point out the recurring theme, the underlying theme. I hear you saying in all these questions is not necessarily how do I do the practice of therapy, which are actually the underlying theme that I hear as an attorney is these are all questions you ask as a business owner, mm. and that's really interesting to hear that. I and mean, these are all really important questions. Um, and it's interesting because Melissa and I have talked about this. I think even on here, where there seems to be a hesitancy among a lot of practitioners to. You know, want or ability to earn money, like as if that it's it's a bad thing that you should earn money, you know, make money while doing therapy. When in fact, you know, you can't you can and should be making money. But you know, you're offering a service and that's important. But you are have a, you're entitled to get paid. You're entitled to make money doing this.
3: Yep, and you're saying that to a faith
2: based consultant. <laughs> so, yeah. That is
1: that is what I was just going to ask, Whitney. I, I, that's
2: it, why I brought it up. <laughs>
1: I am wondering, you know, in general for mental health practitioners, you know, we we know that we provide a really valuable service, right? Um, we know, though, that in our communities, mental health treatment may not be as highly valued as As the treatment of physical health, right? Um, you know, when we think about doctors, they're often revered, and mental health therapists were really important, but we're often expected to like not charge for our services, or you know, there's just a lot of expectations, right? Because you're a helper, you're someone who does good, and therefore, like charging seems to be in contradiction to that somehow. And yet, on top of that, you are a counselor, a faith-based consultant and counselor, and even talking about things like ministry, there's this idea, you know, that money can't really be a part of that. And I'm really wondering what that's been like for you.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, on a personal level, yes, that was definitely a challenge at the beginning. But then I, I started thinking like, well, I need money to pay for my bills. like, And I shouldn't have to be stressed all the time about, you know, like not feeling like I can ever go on a vacation or can't take a day off for my mental health. Well, I have to make enough money to be able to take that day off. And so, yes, personally, I had to struggle with that a lot at the beginning, and now I feel a lot more comfortable about that. Um, but I definitely walked through this with other faith-based practice owners, and I actually had Mike McCallowitz on my show. This mm-hmm. was, I don't know, episode twenty something, and he's fabulous, and he's the author of Profit First and a lot of other business things. Yeah. And one of the things he said that really stuck with me was you know, if you charge enough money, you can do your job better. Remember those days when you needed to be worried about taking the next call and getting back in touch with someone because you needed to pay your bills or you didn't have enough clients or you didn't charge enough. So then you needed more clients to be able to meet that need. And when he said that, it just really resonated with me. I was like, oh my gosh, I remember totally like thinking, I got to hurry and wrap up this session because I only have five minutes to call this new potential client back before the next client comes in. And I need to make this much money to pay rent. Like, so it's so important that we take care of ourselves. And that's how we do God's work. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're worried and anxious about money, then you're not going to be able to do that very well. And it's honestly, it sounds so crazy, but it's a disservice to your client. And when clients pay for something, they care about it more. I had worked at one practice um, where I was employed there and she fired us all in one day. That's another legal conversation that we could have, by the way. <laughs> she called it bloody Monday. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there have been some complaints. So she fired us all. And then we all went and started our own practice within a week because we were like, we've got to take care of these clients and get this going. But so because of that, and I wasn't licensed then I had been under someone else taking insurance, which I don't even know if that was supposed to happen, but I wasn't. Um, licensed clinician. I know what's going on. I just worked for somebody. And then I was like, oh, well, I can't take insurance now. So I'm going to just offer the copay amount so I can keep these clients. So they were paying like $40, $60 for therapy. And they just weren't very invested. They didn't hmm. really show up for their sessions. And then my regular rate at that time was $80. And the ones that were paying $80, which I just thought was astronomical, you know, in my mind, they were consistent they got the most out of therapy. They got out of therapy faster. And I was like, wow, like this goes to show you, I'm actually helping them by charging them more for therapy, which just seems like the opposite, but we're doing a disservice where we put our rates so low that clients aren't invested in it.
1: Yeah. And and I've heard similar things, not even with therapy, but just events that are being offered. Um, and I think this was back when I was doing an internship in college, you know, they were saying, if you have a free event, you have people who sign up and don't show up. But even if you charge just a small, a small amount, you have people who are more likely to keep that commitment and to show up. And I hear that same thing that you're saying right now from a lot of other practice owners about uh, investment in therapy when they understand the value of it or when, when they're even financially investing in it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah I mean, to your point, you know, this cut, I think this is a big issue is, you know, Therapists and, and mental health practitioners take care of other people. Um, and I think that's really relevant, of course, in, in a faith based practice, especially too. Um, but that aspect of taking care of yourself, you know, if you're not going to take care of yourself, who's going to take care of you? And if you're not taking care of yourself and your own mental health, there's no way that you could possibly, you know, reasonably and ethically take care of the people you're supposed to be taking care of. Yeah, so
1: true. Yeah. Well, we love all this information that you're sharing with us. Um, And I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of people who resonate with this information who are, you know, grappling with some of these questions um, and who are also, you know, figuring out some of these questions if faith is an important part of their own lives, if that's something that they want to be a part of their practices. Um, And, you know, people who are listening who have all of those business questions that you mentioned earlier.
2: Yeah. So if people do want to find you um, and learn more about you, um, how can they find you? Let me ask you that.
3: Yeah, definitely. Well, if you want to get in touch with me, you can just email me, Whitney at practice the okay. I love just getting emails from people and hearing about their practices and things that are going on, or someone will email me and say, and you're going to get this too with your podcast. You did this episode and it meant so much to me. Like that's the coolest, right? Mm-hmm. So if you hear me say something that resonates with you, I want to know that you loved it. and how I can help you in your business. Um, you also can follow me on Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. I do have a Facebook community called the Faith and Practice Community. It's totally free. And it's just for people that have faith-based practices where we can, these questions we were just talking about, and you know, Melissa's in that group, where we can just throw out some questions with other people and get feedback pretty quickly. I also go in there and do Facebook Lives, announce events in there. So if you want to get to know me, that's kind of probably the best place to hear from me. Um, And then if you're interested in joining my email list, which gives you information like calls to action that really help you in your practice, you can go to practicepractice.com backslash faith and practice resources, get a free PDF on the five pitfalls between counselors and churches.
1: Wow. Interesting title, right? Yeah.
2: I will say this has been fascinating Um, and it's so nice to have you on because I think this is such an Important. And it's also, um, there's a lot of people doing this. And there, and I think it's really useful information you provided. And I think what you're doing um, in helping other practices is so important. So we're really grateful that you came on to join us today. Um, and we hope that everyone listening enjoyed this um, uh, interview as much as we enjoyed doing it. You know, I want to thank you again for coming on. As I always say to everyone, if you want to reach out to us, if you have questions, if you have a question for Whitney, feel free to, to reach out to us. We can pass it on to her. We look forward to hearing from you. Any anecdotes, things like that, please reach out to us. Other than that, we will talk to you soon. And again, I thank you
0: guys for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit ProtectingYourPractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.